Good morning, everybody. Um, if you don't know me, I think we have a few new people here. I'm David Hale, I'm a pastor here, so we're so glad you guys are here. Um, last week was Easter. It was a really, really fun time. Uh, a lot of people came back, uh, had their vaccines kind of ready to go, and so we're still kind of navigating that, so kind of be patient with us as we figure out what our state's doing, what all the other uh, local businesses and churches and that kind of thing is doing, so we'll just kind of keep you abreast of all that's going on. But we celebrated Easter, and we talked about last week about how Jesus' victory over death is proof that he is king over everything. The fact that he rose from the dead um, proved who he, who he said he was. And we committed once again to live under the reign of Jesus' love. It's a passion that we have. And so today we're going to continue this new series called Love Reigns. Um, and we're going to talk about ways that the love of God reigns over our past. And so I don't know if you've ever had some challenges in the past but uh, thank God Jesus' work on the cross deals with our past, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. We don't have to be controlled by the mistakes that we've made, the miscues. Um, my past doesn't get to define me. Thank God for that. And I am more than what I've done. That's good news, right? So a lot of people obviously um, recognize the past as can potentially can be a hindrance, and so many things it's hard to let go of those things. And uh, you don't see this probably more uh, more prominently than in sports franchises. <laughs> so there's a, there's a famous, there's so many famous uh, challenges where people had some issues in the past, or curses over different kind of sports franchises. But one of the more interesting ones is uh, uh, the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox back in the early 1900s. And so Harry Frazee, this was the owner of the Boston Red Sox um, at the time. He's evil, by the way, so you What was interesting about this was uh, for the next 86 years, they never won a championship. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a long time to go when you're a major franchise without a championship. Um, not until 2004, I remember the, the games, uh, 2004 was it finally broken. But for 86 years, they bore this burden, believing that they could never get past their past. And you guys, we are much like that. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Um, you and I are much like that as well. We've got mistakes that we've made in our past. Some of them are small things, things that we regret a little bit. And there's some mistakes maybe some of us have made that are um, a bit far, more far-reaching. They've impacted our lives, maybe impacted the lives of others. And even though we can't change the past, we can ensure that our past does not control our present or our future. beautiful thing about the Gospels are tons of stories about people with shady pasts. <laughs> you go and read some of these things, and, you know, we, we always forget. Like, I always love, like, when people bring up David and, you know, King David in the Psalms. And just, if you ever get a chance, just go through all the commandments that he broke. That, that, I mean, he broke all of them, let's just be honest. But just go through there, and then the Bible says that God says he was a man after his own heart. Two places it says that. Not just one time. Two places. That David was a man after his own heart. So that's, I tell you, that's good news because I know some of us are kind of stuck and, and, and I think what God wants to do is he wants to kind of let us free from some of those things today. So let me just read a scripture and jump off in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this new creation, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And so there are different passages, different translations of this, but, but the, the gist of it is the old is gone and the new is here. I know I had to explain that to you because the verse didn't really tell you that. So here's the thing. We read that, and we don't believe it. We just don't. 
and so often we've read passages of Scripture, and I don't know about you, but I'll read, sometimes I'll get in that read mode, and I'm like, okay, I've got to finish the chapter. And I'm like, I just literally, the last part of the chapter, I don't even know what I read. I was like, I'm, you know, it was, I read it, so it counts? Does it count? <laughs> Which is a terrible mentality, right? So it's interesting about this Scripture because um, Paul's kind of bragging as he sets this verse up. He's kind of bragging about the love that Jesus would offer, what his life would come to mean. Um, and it's because of this love that we, who are in Christ, become a new creation. And so this phrase is really interesting. The phrase, in Christ, is a word used often in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. As a matter of fact, he used it 216 times. So it's probably pretty important. So let me read it to you again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So it's not automatic. You don't, you know, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, past, present, future. I think probably most of us know that. Um, but it's not automatic. There's something that you have to do, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But it's, what's helpful to remember is that if you are in Christ, there's been a great exchange. It's out with the old, in with the new. And so the love of God removes all of the old sin, the shame, guilt, mistakes, and failures from our lives. But we often don't believe it. When God's love reigns in us, it overpowers the hold that all the old things used to have over our life if we will let it. Again, it's not automatic. But here's the thing. There has to be space made for the new. You can't continue in the old ways and expect new things to happen. You have to actually begin to recognize that the, if, things are, if the old things are done away with, then what are the new things? So um, most of you guys have seen Chip Gaines in Demo Day. He made kind of the phrase Demo Day pretty famous. He gets super excited about Demo Day, and I think God does too, right? God gets super excited about Demo Day because it gets to tear out all the rotted, you know, horrible stuff, the old stuff that just doesn't fit anymore, it doesn't work, maybe it stinks, it smells, it's bad in every kind of way. But when God comes into our life, he doesn't simply overlook our sin. I think this is a big mistake uh, so often we we see uh, just in theology. It's like, okay, God, you know, if, if grace is there, then then sin must not be a big deal. But it is a big deal. And the reason we know it's a big deal is because of the cost and the price that was paid for our sin. But the beautiful thing about that is the price has already, at least in our lives, has already been paid 2,000 years ago. The cost, the price, everything that was, that was needed to take away our sin has been paid already. But so often, especially as believers, we don't live like that. And even if we're not a believer, even if we're following Jesus and maybe trying to determine whether, you know, this path is the path that I want to go down, so often we, we think that that's just, uh, that's just too good to be true, right? So I'm going to get to that in just a second. But what happens is when we change and this transformation occurs, we go from telling lies to speaking the truth. We go from selfish to being selfless, from spreading go- gossip to offering encouragement, from burning with anger to being filled with joy. And that's, it's radical change. It's an absolute radical change. My pastor said when his father got saved, he said, I remember when my father got saved and gave his life to Christ. He said because he was, he was an Irish guy and he said he was really, really angry all the time. But he said he was just instantly, he, he could be ignited. And he said it, we were, we'd walked on eggshells around him all the time. We were just very fearful. Um, he said he got saved and he came home and the dog looked at him funny. <laughs> and the reason why is because usually when he came home, he would kick the dog on the way into the house. Right? Just mean-spirited, just this angry, angry guy. And, and in, instantly, there was a change in his heart, a radical change. And the old things were taken away. Whatever was driving that anger within him was removed. 
whether it was fear, whether it was brokenness, whether it was his own failures or someone else's failures against him, it doesn't matter. When God takes away the old, he takes it completely away. But we have, to, we have to actually believe that. So when you remodel a house, if you don't take away the old and you just build over the top of it, what happens? Whatever rot was there just kind of comes through. And so when we try to live as a new creation while we're holding on to our past vices, we end up frustrated, number one. And secondly, our relationship with God and our relationship with people is very, very challenged. So if you keep on into the patterns of your old life, and so I've shared this many, many times before, but what happens is when God comes and he takes away um, what's inside, takes away the old, the Bible says he gives you a brand new heart, a, new, a brand new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, a heart that's able to hear God, a heart that's, that's softened before him because your sins are forgiven, right? But you have to make a, a decision about your mind being transformed. And the Bible speaks to that over and over and over again about, okay, the old has been taken away, but what are you going to do about the new. There's this really fascinating scripture, really amazes me. It says that those who stole should steal no more. Like, do you think you'd have to tell somebody that? Like, could you imagine everybody at the church and guy got saved and it's like stuff just keeps going missing? <laughs> and you finally, the pastor finally sees, like, dude, we need to have coffee because you should maybe stop taking people's stuff, right? But the reason why that scripture is there is because there are oftentimes in our lives there are patterns that are so deep within us. That, it, it, that, that what the Lord is after is transforming your mind. So old ways of thinking will still look like you're in an old way of life, even if your heart has been transformed. And so it's important to remember that God wants to remove it all, but he wants to actually put something in its place. He wants to start us fresh with a renewed heart and instill within us a desire to live for him. Remember, selfish to selfless. Focused on me, I sit on the throne. We talked about this last Sunday. I sit on the throne of, of my life or I give the throne of my life to Jesus. I have to make a choice because both of us can't sit on that throne. So the Bible says it like this. This is Psalm 103.12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We don't have to walk around defeated. But this is a lie that unfortunately has been in the church for many, many years. I remember um, grabbing hold of it somehow. I'm not sure if it was implicitly taught or if it was just, uh, I mean, explicitly talk or implicitly taught, one, one way or the other, I grabbed hold of it with my heart. And I always felt like I was in this, this uh, low-grade fever of, of uh, guilt, shame, and condemnation. Like, you know, I was, I was trying to live for Jesus, but every once in a while I wouldn't. You know, I'd get angry on the road or, or temptation would come, whatever, and I would, I would find myself falling into temptation. And then immediately I would get in the back of my head that somehow now because I've done that as a believer that I'm no longer a believer. And it's dangerous. That's such a dangerous thought. My, my wife shares all the time. She's not in the room, but I'll, I'll share about, about her a little bit. Um, she talks about her dad. Some of you guys knew Karen's dad before he passed away. He was a very interesting character. And, and he, was, he was short, and he was stout. He, was, he had German you know, heritage, and so he was, he was a tough guy. He was a really interesting guy. And she says all the time, she said, I think I got my dad's nose. I'm like, no. I don't think I would have looked twice if you had your, dad, your dad's nose. She goes, well, I got my dad's legs. I'm like, well, that may be true, actually. And she actually, after he passed away, she went through, and, and we were cleaning out his closets, and he had some old leisure suits, like 20 of them or something. I mean, a lot. 
and she tried one of them on, and it fit perfectly, <laughs> absolutely perfectly. She, I think she wore it at Halloween the other day. She threatened to wear it on Sunday morning, and I, I said, that's not possible. We can't do that. But <laughs> she could not deny that she is her father's daughter because she shares his DNA. She could be a bad daughter, right? She could ignore her father. There's a lot of things she could do as a daughter, but she just cannot deny her DNA. It's helpful for us to remember that. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ, and nothing can take away that relationship with your father. If you sin, the Bible says when you sin, not if you sin, you have an advocate with your father. Now, understand this. The Bible doesn't mean, uh, the way this is written in the original language, doesn't mean you have an advocate who goes before the father and pleads your case so that you can stay, you know, that somehow you've lost it and now you can get it back. That's not what that means. It says you have an advocate. In other words, he ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. In other words, the fact that he's alive is his intercession. Does that make sense? So it's not like he's praying, Father, Father, please forgive you know, these people. That's not how it works. The Bible says that the Father and the Son made an agreement before time began. Before we ever sinned, there was an agreement. The Bible says that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of time. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all knew what was coming because they're God, <laughs> right? And so when it happened, there was a plan in place, and the plan was redemption. And so we see the old covenant and what it represented, and uh, the short version is it's a picture of this is the standard by which you must approach God. It is absolute perfection. And the law was put in place to show you not that you could obtain it, but that you could not obtain it in your own strength, right? And so Jesus comes along, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of time. He goes to the cross, he lays his life down, and now there's an exchange. All of the sin of the world for all the past, present, and future was placed upon him. He was a perfect, sinless man, right? And because of that, his blood was the only blood. It's a blood economy that, that forgives you of your sin. It's nothing else, not how how uh, sorry you are, not some kind of thing that your penance, you can't bring more penance, you can't do any of those things to rescue yourself. It just can't be done. The blood was perfect. Because the blood was perfect, it was applied. And when it was applied, the sin was washed away. The blood of animals would only hold it back one more year. The, the, the Day of Atonement. We talked about that in the Old Testament. And so it's interesting how this all works. But you can come because your sin has been forgiven and if you have not accepted Christ, if you are not in Christ, your sin has been paid for, but it's not taken effect in your life. You still sit under the wrath of God, not because he wants to bring wrath upon you, but, God, but because he's perfect and he's holy and there can't be anything else but wrath for sin that has not been paid for. So the greatest sin really is the sin of self-righteousness, that I don't need God. I can do it all by myself. In all the world religions except Christianity, there is a way for you to work out your own salvation. Now, I know that sounds like a scripture because it is, and I brought it up on purpose. The Bible doesn't say you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in the sense that somehow you can do something to save yourself. It's saying that you have been saved now in fear and trembling, and all that means is respect and honor with some real fear and trembling, <laughs> Right? That you come now and you work out what your salvation means. It's important to understand this. So let me read you a scripture. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 20. It says, all this is from God, 
See how that works? None of this is from you. That's what it's implying. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. He came and saved you and me. We didn't come and approach him. He draws us by his spirit is what the Bible says. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled to God, now his expectation is you will carry that ministry. You will serve other people in the context of reconciliation. He goes on, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God the Father, this was their idea that sin was going to come, it was going to create a separation between you and I, and God could not fathom that. That's how much he loves you. Now hear this, this because most of us say, well, I know God loves me, but if we were honest, we would say, but does he really want me? And see, that's an indication of how you think about yourself. And what you have to do is you have to make the transformation of your mind from how you think about you to how God thinks about you. Because it's not your opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter, nor does mine. There is a revelation of who God says he is to us. It's out here. It's in the Bible. It's ready to go. It's there for you to peruse at your leisure, right? So when people say, I just don't know if you can know God, I'm like, you know he wrote a book, right? Maybe get it on Audible. You don't even have to read it. You just listen to the Bible, right? He actually wrote a book. It finishes the scripture out with this. We are therefore, so because of all this, all of it's from him. We've been reconciled. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. He says, therefore, we're Christ's ambassadors. Listen to this. As though God were making his appeal through us. As though God was making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to other people around us in our sphere of influence through us. You ever heard the phrase, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads? That's the scripture. He's making his appeal before you. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Listen to this. So because of this, right, if you're going to be an ambassador, though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, you be reconciled to God. How in the world can you take reconciliation to humanity if you don't feel that you are reconciled to your Father? And the answer is you can't. So you got to settle this in your heart as a believer. And if you've never come to know Christ, um, you're searching, you're looking, whatever that may look like in your life, if you're here or you're online, whatever that looks like, you have to come to the conclusion of what Jesus has done and what that means and then what you have to do about it because it's a personal decision. One of my favorite phrases, people say this all the time, one of my favorite phrases to just slap into the dirt is when someone says, well, you know, religion is my personal choice. No, it's not. You don't get to be personal about your religion. In other words, I don't have to share. This is just between me and, me and God. It has never been between you and God. It's always been between you, God, and who you're going to reach, who he's going to reach through your life. You, as my wife said, we also are on a royal mission, right? We are sons and daughters of God on a royal mission to bring reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation to other people. This is all God's gift. We talked about it. It's all from him. I can't get past my past on my own um, merit. I just can't do it. His reign, his love has to reign over our sin. We have to count ourselves, as the Bible says, dead to our sin. So there's a really in- interesting um, story in Ernest Hemingway's The Capital of the World. So it's set in Spain, and it's about a father and his teenage son whose name was Paco. And Paco at that time was a very, very common name in Spain. 
So he had a, Paco had a desire to become a matador, and so he, he escapes his father's control, and he goes to Madrid, which is the capital of Spain, which is where this story gets its name. Um, and his father is desperate to reconcile. Sounds like another story, right, in the Bible. His father is desperate to reconcile with him. So the story goes, he goes and he follows him to Madrid, and he puts an ad in a local newspaper with this simple phrase. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. That's beautiful, isn't it? The next day, Hemingway writes, at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos all seeking forgiveness. <laughs> it's, it's a need that we all have, and there's something inside of our heart. It's drawn to it, but so often we cannot believe that, that, is, that God's grace and his kindness is, is it's too good to be true. And so I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But God's love for us and God's love through us is what I'm talking about. He's interested in the entire world being reconciled to himself. And it's often better caught than taught. So what do I mean by that? It means that people want to see what reconciliation looks like, not hear it. At least not at first. But it is also to speak it. You know, the Bible says that, that, that the, the word of your testimony, there's something about your testimony. The testimony is a promise that God will do it again. And God's no respecter of persons, so if he does something good for you, he'll do it for me. See, his favor is upon you and I. His favor was poured out through the cross of Christ, through his son. It's been given to you as a gift. You can't earn his favor. So why do you keep trying? And the more you try, the more disappointing it is because you realize that you don't deserve it. Which goes back to the whole reason that God gave the law in the first place is to show you that the law could never save you, that you could never do enough. If you broke one commandment, you've broken them all. So what is to be done? The only thing that can be done is someone pays for you and then gives it to you as a gift. That's called the gift of righteousness. That's grace. That's the gospel. Imagine someone gives you a brand new Bentley. Like, I, I was driving in, in Florida one time. I was living in Destin, and I was in a little hoopty pickup truck. Anybody know what a hoopty is? Anybody ever had a hoopty? So, <laughs> it was, I had insurance, but I don't know why. You know, it's only insurance to cover anybody else. But I'm driving down the middle of Destin Commons Mall, and it's, there's some wealthy people there. And so I'm, there's this car I don't recognize in front of me, and I, I'm like, what is that emblem? And so I drive up real close, <laughs> which is not a good, good. And it was a Bentley. It was like a $250,000 car. I'm like, if I had hit the guy, I couldn't afford to change out the B on the back of his car, right? <laughs> I'd be like, dude, here's my car. And he's like, why would I want your car, right? <laughs> so imagine someone gives you a Bentley. And then you keep making payments on it. Well, one, any of you guys in here got a Bentley? Anybody? I would like to take you to lunch. Well, I'd like to have you take me to lunch, actually. <laughs> but if you have, none of us, none of us can afford a Bentley, right? Not in this room, maybe online, but nobody in here, right, can afford a Bentley. So if someone gave you a Bentley, why would you attempt to make payments on a, on a gift like that? Right? First of all, you can't. But you know, you know, your pride, something, well, I'll, you know, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Okay, John Wayne. <laughs> right? You can't. And so what, what, would, what is the better response to someone who gave you a Bentley? Is it to keep trying to make payments on it and ignore their gift? Or is it to say, thank you, and then use the Bentley? I would drive it like it was a rental car if somebody, <laughs> probably not. But you understand the, th this concept is, is God has given us a gift that we could never pay for. 
We couldn't afford it. And so there's two ways, to, two ways to act around that. One is to act like somehow you're going to one day afford it or one, one day be able to pay for it. Or you could just receive it as the gift that it is and it creates a thankful heart in you and it draws you close to the Father, which is kind of the point, isn't it? Right? So love for God is contagious. So I want to I try a little, this, I've never done this before at DCF, so some of you guys are going to be afraid, but that, and that's okay. But I want you to do this, it's a little weird. But I want you to turn to somebody in, in the room somewhere, and I want you to tell them about your favorite movie or favorite kid. No, don't do that. Uh, your, <laughs> your fa- especially if it's your kids, don't do that. Your favorite sports, um, something that's a favorite that's not the gospel, because some of you guys are going to go all spiritual on me and go, I'll tell people, but no, don't do that. Some, a favorite movie, a favorite sport, a favorite song, something's just deeply personal but favorite to you so just take about 30 seconds and just turn around so just hopefully you've got it in your head already and just turn around and just share a little bit back and forth just for a few seconds about what that looks like I'll give you just a minute to do it All right, if you haven't switched, go ahead and switch and and let them tell you their favorite. All right, now I want you to tell them, I want you to tell that person about your last trip to the Department of Motor Vehicles. I'm just kidding, you don't have to tell them. <laughs> you can go ahead and make your way back to your seat if you haven't done it already. But here's the point, how easy was it for you to tell someone about your favorite whatever it was? Here's why that works, because whatever you're passionate about, you're going to talk about it. Isn't that how that works? If you're passionate about something, if you find something that you're like, this is amazing, man, you, you will sell people this on the, uh, on the company's behalf, won't you? Because it's, it's, some, it's amazing. There's something about it to you that's amazing. But if you've had a bad experience like the DMV, nobody can't wait to go home and tell their spouse about how amazing their trip was to the DMV because it's usually not a, If you work in the DMV, I apologize. <laughs> but it's true, so maybe fix it. So here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. What is, how does that relate to us in our walk with the Lord? Tell your story. I love last week Dave uh, Weisiger came up. Dave, if you don't know Dave, Dave's one of the elders here in our church, Dave and Val. Awesome, amazing people, but they weren't always awesome. Well, they always were, but a little, a little screwed up <laughs> like all of us. So Dave gets up and he shares the story of, of his Easter here. How many years ago was it now? Seven years ago. He came in, I'll re- I remember, because he, he, he cried through the whole message. I'm like, man, what, I, I mean, I was like, did I, did I do it wrong? I mean, like, <laughs> he's crying the whole time. So I went, I'd met him, so I went to him afterwards, and I said, hey, Dave, um, I said, you okay? I just put my hand on his shoulder, I said, you okay? Anything I could pray with you about? And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the love of God. And I said, there's nothing I can do for you, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> I, was, I, was, 
<laughs> I prayed for him. And then I, but I walked away. Here's the thing, though. It's like he came up and he shared that last week. And it was beautiful. It was as simple and straightforward and as easy as it possibly could be because he loves God. He's been overwhelmed by the love of God. So he got up and he said, hey, this was me. I was here at an Easter. And he was speaking in the ministry of reconciliation on other people's behalf. If you could find what I've found, you would, you would love him too. See, you don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to have gone to Bible school. You don't have to do any of those things. You can just have gotten saved. And you can tell your story. So let me just tell you this story, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. When I was in Bible college, um, we went out on an outreach with our little kids' church <clears throat> ministry we had kind of off in one of the little towns. And uh, we prayed and felt like God told us to go to this park as a group. So we went. So we're trying to teach these, our, our kids and young people how to share Jesus. It was a very unchurched area. So we go out in this area. We're with them. It's a public park. There's nobody there. We're like, well, man, we totally missed God. And so we're looking around. There's a house over the, with some kids playing on the edge of the park. And so we thought, well, maybe that's it. So we go over there, and I asked the, I asked the, the kids. They don't have shirts on, you know, so kind of a poor scenario, obviously. And so I said, hey, um, is your, are your parents home? And they're like, yeah, we'll get them. So a guy comes out, and he looks like he'd been on drugs. He was pretty strung out. And he, and he comes out, and he comes outside the fence, and he says, are you a cop? And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, are you, let me see your ID. I'm like, you want to, wait, what? You want to see my ID? He goes, I said, man, I just came to tell you about the love of God. He goes, I just need to see your ID because if you're a cop, you have to tell me you're a cop. I'm like, who even knows that, right? So I showed, it's the first time I ever had to show my ID to tell somebody about Jesus, but I did, and so I showed it to him, and, and then we started walking. He said, I don't, I don't want to stay here. So obviously, he, something going on inside the house he didn't want me to be a part of. So we go walking, and the whole time I'm sharing Christ with him. And he's warming up to this idea. He cannot believe that as evil as he's been and the terrible things that he's done, that Jesus would just save him. He said, he said that's too good to be true. I'm like, I know. But it is. <laughs> it's true. And so I shared with it. And so we end up at a friend's apartment. And uh, I tried to, we were close to the, ch the church, so I was going to take him by the church, see if he would go in and pray with me. But he wouldn't. So we go into, the, to the, into our friend's, uh, I knock on the door, we go in. Uh, I shared Christ with him, and I asked him, hey, could I pray with you? And he says, yeah. So I pray with him. Um, I won't tell the whole story, but there's an incredible encounter with God. I mean, the whole time he wouldn't let me touch him at all. And he asked me, he said, would you put your hand on me and pray for me? He just instantly got tender. And he, and he instant change. He was a little bit high, I think, when I started witnessing to him. And he was instantly sober. And so, you know, I'm in Bible college. This is so awesome. I can't, this is great, man. We just led somebody to Jesus. So cool. And, and Randy and I, our, my friend, uh, we look around. He's not in the room anymore. We're like, oh, was it an angel? No. <laughs> we were a little bit super spiritual, but not that bad. So we look out the window, and sure enough, he's gone. And he's running across the road, and he runs over to this house. It's a notorious crack house, right? And he's outside, and we're like, oh, man, total failure. You know, he's gone back. He's, he needed a fix, right? So next Sunday, he shows up at church with his whole family, and he's so excited, he can't, he can't hardly stand it. He wants to share his testimony. I was like, but didn't you just go over to the drug house, you know, right after we prayed? He goes, yeah, so I could tell him about Jesus. <laughs> so he ministered. He went through the entire house and told everybody that was there who was higher than a kite, he told every single one of them about the love of Jesus. And over time, some of those people actually got saved. Here's my point. He didn't know anything. He had been in prison. They called him Spider because uh, he was lethal. <laughs> I think that was more about his, his ego than anything else. But he was not a good guy. 
And as a matter of fact, he was so screwed up that at one point, you know, he, um, he had some things going on that people were chasing and going to kill him. And he was, tr- he was trying to transform his life, right? His heart had been changed, but he had some patterns he had to get rid of. And, and we lost track of him. He just went missing. And then about three months later, underneath a door was an envelope with pictures in it. And it was pictures of him and his family at a church somewhere else. And he just, a little note in there, he said, I had to run because some people were threatening my life, but I still love Jesus. I'm still serving Jesus. Thank you for everything you guys did for us. So here's the thing. You don't have to have a Bible school education to tell your story. Just tell it. Let, first of all, let people see it in you. Let them see it, and let them see authentic Christianity. Are you perfect all the time? Dear God, no, because if you were, the law would have worked for you. But it didn't, and it couldn't. And so we're all growing in this walk with the Lord. It's okay if you screw up. One of the worst things that we can do in church world is pretend like we're okay when we're not okay. It's, one, it's fine to be mature um, or immature. People get that. It's fine to have been mature, have done some things wrong, and had to go back to immaturity for a while because you broke something, right? And you get restored and you get repaired and you get fixed because that's who Jesus is. He's the one who comes and he restores all things. That's what his heart is for us. So be authentic, but tell your story. Last scripture, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like I said, there was an incredible exchange of our sinfulness to God's righteousness. And like my friend Spider said, that's too good to be true. I read a story about a cake mix. because This is kind of how this works. I read a story about a cake mix and the cake mix, they put it out, and it was, it was so simplified that all you had to do was add water. So people, they just thought, man, we're going to sell a ton of these things. Man, this is amazing. It's so simple. Nobody would buy it. And the reason why they wouldn't buy it, wouldn't buy it they did some research, and they found out that people said there's, they couldn't trust it if all you had to do was add water because that was too good to be true, Right? So they went back to the drawing board, they changed the ingredients around, and they added, uh, they added in the instructions that you had to add one egg and the water. And they sold like hot cake or cake. <laughs> so here's the thing. We all think that the gospel is too good to be true. As a matter of fact, the word literally means almost too good to be true news. But here's two things about that. One is it is true, right? And it's also news. When, when they would come and proclaim that people who would bring the gospel, this word, it was an announcement of good news, right? That's what we see. And so they would bring and they would announce this good news, and it was news. You could do one of two things with the news. You could accept it or you could reject it. But you couldn't do anything to change the news, right? And so the same thing is true with the gospel. It is not too good to be true, but it feels like it. So all you have to do is you have to make a decision about what you're going to do, what you're going to do with the news that's been given. That Jesus came to the earth. He, he came willingly. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Everything that you've been tempted into and everything that you may be done in, after the temptation, Jesus was tempted in the same way, and yet the Bible says he never once sinned. And because of that, his blood was perfect, it was pure, and it became the sacrifice for all of our sin, for all time, past, present, and future. And the beautiful thing about that is what Jesus did settled it forever. 
So if you've got a past, if you've got something in your past that's holding on to you, maybe it's a mistake, maybe it's a relationship challenge, maybe it's something to do with business, it could be whatever it is. We all have something like that probably in our lives that from time to time reaches up and grabs hold of us. And this accusation, the Bible says, that comes from the enemy, and it comes something like this. Really? You're going to act like you're a Christian when you do this or you've done this? And the answer has to be, if you understand the gospel, yes, I am. Why aren't you a hypocrite? Nope, I'm not. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, my past has been reconciled as far as the east is from the west. That's where my sin has been placed. Now, should I keep on sinning? No, you knothead. That's that's the new version of how Paul would have put it in his day. It's as close as you can get without cussing, right? No, of course not. So what do you do if you're struggling with your past? What do you do if you're struggling with patterns from your past? Understanding the gospel is the key to getting past your past. Because here's what happens. When you have those patterns arise again, whatever they might be, then if you don't understand the gospel, what you'll do is you'll try to handle it yourself. I got this. I'll take care of it. So how's that working out for you? Not so good, right? If you understand the gospel, the Bible says that you can come boldly before the throne room of grace for help in your time of need. So what does that look like? You sin some juicy sin, right? You feel horrible, good, because you have a new nature, right? Of course you're going to feel bad. You weren't made for sin. This is not who you are. It's not beneficial in any form or fashion. So of course it's going to feel bad. I would be afraid for you if it didn't feel bad, right? But what do you do with the feeling? Feelings can tell you some things, but they can't, they can't determine the outcome. You have to make a choice and say, okay, if I understand the gospel, then whatever's going on here is not a heart issue, right? It's a mind issue. It's a transforming of my mind issue. So that means I have to say, Lord, you're all about transforming my mind. So I begin to read more and more of the scripture. I understand more and more of the character and the nature of God. I understand the reign of love in my life through the gospel, through the goodness of God, and this is what I do. I come boldly before God and go, God, that is just because I did that, that is not who I am. That's the gospel. I did the sin, but that is not who I am. So help me, Lord, to find out why I keep coming back to these patterns, and and, and Lord, transform me. Help me to know what to do to be transformed. Every time I've ever done that, God has been faithful bring something to mind, to uncover something in a conversation or I'm sharing or or in prayer or a word of knowledge or any of those things, something would come out that would say, hey, this is probably the linchpin of that. And every time I would grab hold of it and say, yes, I have to deal with the fact that I feel shame and I get all that, but Jesus took it. So even though I feel shame, I don't have it. Even though I feel guilt, I don't have it, right? Even though the sin was there, the sin does not define me. So I come boldly before the throne and I say, Lord, help me. I'm in times of need and trouble. And every time I've asked for that, he's done it. So two simple things. If you're a believer this morning, understand the gospel. Get it settled in your heart. Let the love of God reign over you. Let it reign over you like the king that he is over his kindness and his goodness. But what if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe here this morning in the house with us or online, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never let the love of God reign over you. It's a simple thing to fix. (laughs) Remember we said, those who are in Christ, 
So if you're out of Christ, how do you get in? Two things. You believe something that's true. You believe the gospel, right? You count it as true. You believe the gospel, and then you follow Jesus. The truth is, you can follow Jesus before you believe the gospel. So two, two things, I read this, I think, last week, Matthew 28. Two things the Bible says about a disciple. And a disciple doesn't start after you become a believer. A disciple is a learner, so you can begin learning about Jesus before you ever become a Christian. That's what happened with me. And so it says that you should, the, the short version is, you hear what the voice of God is saying. The Bible says to teach them, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I'm with you to the end of the age. So the first one is everything he's taught already in Scripture. The implication of the second part of that passage is he's still talking to you. Now, it's, it's, it's within the Bible, so don't say, you know, the Lord told me to do something that the Bible clearly tells you it didn't. Don't do that. It's not helpful. Get into the Word. Learn His character and His nature and listen for His voice because it'll be the same. It'll look the same as the Bible. And when you do that, He begins to talk to you. And then you do two things. You, the Lord is saying something, you, you ask Him the question, Lord, what are you saying to me, and what do I need to do about it? So if you're a believer this morning, maybe you've been a believer 20 years, something about this message has captured your heart. What is the Lord saying to you? And then just simply do it. Obey God. Every time I've done that, whatever I'm afraid of, it never happens. It always works out when I just obey God. So if you're a believer and you've heard the Lord, then do what He says. If you're not a believer, how do you become a believer? I, if that's you and you want to become a believer this morning, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I say this all the time. This prayer is not magic. <laughs> so if you don't believe it, it's not going to do anything for you. It, it, but if you believe this, if you believe Jesus, um, what Jesus has said about himself, the revelation of Scripture, if you believe that, then you can receive this and you become a new creation. So if that's you, I just want to pray a prayer with you. So if you would, just bow your head and pray with me. Jesus, I confess that I've lived my own way and under my own authority for far too long. Lord, I've sinned against others, and I've sinned against you. I'm sorry, and I ask your forgiveness. I believe that you died and you rose again for me. I welcome your spirit to work in my life, and I choose to obey you above everything else. And I want to join you in sharing the good news of the gospel. Thank you for promising to always be with me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let me remind you, you are not what you've done. Your past does not define you. Only the one who made you gets to define you. Amen? Dave? Um, yeah, I, I love that. Just the the gift that we've been given that we could never afford, just this this new covenant, new creature that we we are given that we just can embrace and become and be able to share what is our new story with others. So I, I pray that this week we all have opportunities to be able to share our new story with someone because um, next Sunday would be great just to come back and just be overflowing with testimonies uh, of what, what God has given us opportunities to share that new story. Um, if, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, if you need prayer, whether it be here in house or online, you can you can email us online if you'd like us to pray with you over something. Uh, this morning, if you want just uh, to be ministered, to be prayed for for something, please. Uh, we'll have people up front here that be more than willing to pray with you. Uh, everyone.
Hope you have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday.